0: Hey everybody, welcome to Sinister Soup, the podcast where we discuss genre fiction through the lens of literature, film, ridiculous conversation, and of course, tasty beer.
1: Beer! Beer! Beer.
0: As always, we're going to start with our first segment, Bring Some Culture, where we talk about something cool in the creative or cultural realm, whatever that might be, uh, that we want to shine a light on. So, Travis, where are you shining your... Proverbial light today.
1: Alright, mine is not an independent artist, not anything really to do with art, but something that I don't know if a lot of people know about, because I didn't until last year, and I think it's awesome. Yale University has free lectures. If you Google open Yale courses, there is a list of every subject with a free lecture usually it's a 101 class but they are all amazing and some of them are like very niche like uh let me i'm going to scroll down here to english go to the english one boom english and they have introductory introduction to theory of literature a milton lecture a modern poetry lecture and the american novel since 1945 and these are like all Real classes that were taught by Yale professors, and they just filmed them giving their lecture in front of their normal class. I just think it's really cool. <laughs> like, I don't think there's a lot of like Ivy League universities that do that. I haven't been able to find Harvard ones. Pretty much Yale's the only one I've been able to find, and I think that's just a fact that I wanted to share. So Yale open courses. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean any anytime you can. Find those free resources to like increase your knowledge in your chosen area of study or your chosen subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, a resource like that, where you can attend a Yale lecture more or less, is is pretty rare and pretty awesome. Cause that's, yeah, like you say, that's a high level university with very high level professors that most people just don't have access to in the world. So that's mm-hmm. pretty pretty unique.
1: And I think it's just like we live in this generation now that's like google it just google it you know but the problem with google is it's open forum so like yes there's a lot of very valid and amazing information you can find by just googling it but there's also a lot of information from people who don't know what they're talking about (laughs) oh yeah i mean if you watch a lecture from a yale professor that's somebody who's been researching the subject they're teaching for a very, very long time. Like, their life's work has been to specialize in that subject. So mm-hmm. you can, like, yes, there's probably going to be a little disagreement, but you can be pretty assured that it's somebody who knows what they're talking about.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they wouldn't be teaching at Yale if, if they weren't an expert in mm-hmm. the subject, so.
1: All right. What did you bring this week, bro?
0: Yeah i'm bringing something interesting it's called uh pit mad okay so more pitching stuff and it's actually what got me onto twitter i've resisted twitter (laughs) for a long time Mm -hmm. but many people have told me that it's one of the best places for an author to be and after doing pit mad this month i realized that that is pretty true Mm -hmm. um so PitMad is this uh, basically Twitter party that happens uh, four times a year, okay. and it's it's uh, founded by Pitch Wars back in 2012, um, and the whole idea of it is it's you know it's just a hashtag uh, #hashtag PitMad and you pitch your work in progress that is uh well not your work in progress you pitch something that you have completely finished and ready to query with the um the only rule really is that your pitch has to fit in a tweet okay and you have to include the hashtags which uh you know limits your character count a little bit so it has to be a really short pitch because mm-hmm. um, you only get something like 250 characters, and that includes spaces and stuff. So ha- But you are you have to include the, the hashtag FitMad, hashtag and then you have to include the hashtag uh, that denotes your genre and any other important specifications for the book. Uh, for example, hashtag H for a horror story, mm-hmm. um, because then editors and agents, but real editors and agents get on there, and they do look at these pitches and uh many people have successfully queried in pitmad. Oh wow. Um yeah, and aside from that, it's a good place to meet a whole bunch of authors and agents and editors. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a miniature one-day event writer convention, but it's all on Twitter. And it happens for 12 hours a day, 4 days a year. Um the next pitmad is December 2nd. And uh, the one I just attended was the second of September a few a few days ago. I I've had a Twitter just sitting there for like two years. Um, <laughs> I heard about this PitMad thing and I was like, all right, I'll go try it out. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. I'm trying everything. But I got on there and so I had like three followers because I, I never post on Twitter. I never do literally anything there, so there's no reason for anyone to follow me. Yeah. Um, but after PitMad. Just from pitching my thing and commenting on a few people's things, I now have like 80 followers. Just oh, wow. Like, yeah, just from like one day. Um, and I realize what people have been talking about with Twitter and why there so many authors on there. It's because every literary agent is on there, every literary agency. Yeah. And editors, and just every writer, it seems like. Uh, so it's really easy to put yourself right into that community on Twitter. And PitMad's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also just a great place for anybody who's established. So, yeah, I think uh, if you're a writer looking to submit, you should check out PitMad, the next one on December 2nd. Uh, it goes from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
1: All right. December 2nd, PitMad yeah sounds awesome i mean yeah i i have not been exposed to the that side of the power of twitter either so i guess maybe i could give it a shot again too but i was definitely also like you avoiding it but it sounds like that kind of thing will really get you a leg up in the industry
0: yeah i mean you know i think it certainly could it's Mm -hmm. it's a way to put your stuff in front of a bunch of people at the very least Mm -hmm. um and it's one of those it's one of those places where everybody's really supportive and on the same team because you're all trying to do the same thing you know yeah yeah all right so we've brought culture now it's time to get into the protein of our podcast the main course forced entrolment forced entrolment The reason we call it Forced Entrollment is because we roll dice. We put our fate in the hands of the dice gods, utterly. And whoever loses is forced to become a troll towards whatever book, show, or movie we are discussing that day. And whoever rolls higher gets to defend it valiantly against the nastiness of said troll. So... Before we roll our dice and trust our fates to the dice gods, we will first do a trivia question on should the- should maybe introduce-
1: I'm, I'm going to. Okay. I thought I was going to.
0: Well, I was going to lead into it. I was going to transition. Jeez. Okay.
1: My bad. <laughs> no trust. No we're
0: trust. We're going to do a trivia question about the book we're doing, which is, what, Travis- is that good enough for you? Yeah, that sounds Do you feel great. transitioned to. I feel,
1: I feel. like I definitely just tried to take over.
0: Yeah. Did that feel transitive enough? I hope you feel <laughs> smoothly transitioned, listeners. Travis I... is going to tell us the book now.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Pet Cemetery. So we're talking about great. Pet Cemetery. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Pet Cemetery is probably one of Stephen King's most famous novels which is kind of hard to say for king because he's king so like all his novels are pretty popular but it definitely like when you hear stephen king i think it's one of the names that pop up in your brain Is mm-hmm. pet cemetery right alongside like the shining and gujo and- Anyway, the book focuses on a doctor who has moved his family into a sort of country home in a small town and has started a new position as the doctor in the small town, one of the only ones. He has a small child, a son, and uh, who I think is like very young, like three maybe. I don't remember the exact age, but uh, he's very young, just a toddler and they are sort of like starting their lives uh, in this new town and the child gets in a terrible accident and runs onto a highway next to their house and is hit by a truck. And the rest of the novel is sort of dealing with grief but at the same time the doctor figures out there is this cemetery that was It's named the Pet Cemetery um, that he previously used to bury his cat um, and the cat came back to life. So, in this desperate ploy to save his family, he also buries his child there. But the kicker in all Stephen King novels, nothing goes according to plan. Things that come back from the pet cemetery do not come back normal. So that's sort of the premise of the novel, Pet Cemetery. And Clay, you have a trivia question for me. I do. That was a good transition, by the way.
0: Yeah, it's nice when somebody lets you do it. <laughs> 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 um. So, uh, here's my trivia question. Um, Stephen King is well known in his novels. To incorporate his other books through like obscure references that don't affect the story, but they just kind of let you know that this is all connected, King world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very common in his work, and he does that in Pet Cemetery as he does in many other stories. Um, so there are three of his other novels mm-hmm. mentioned uh, very briefly in, in passing in Pet Cemetery. Of these four choices, which is not referenced in Pet Cemetery at all? Okay, I'm ready. Is it A, Cujo, B, Salem's Lot, C, Carrie, or D, It? Which is not referenced in Pet Sematary?
1: Mm, I'm, bet- I'm between two. I'm going to go with A. C- I don't think Cujo is... A, final answer? Yeah.
0: Cujo is referenced when they're... Uh-huh. Is it Carrie? It is
1: Carrie. Oh, that was my other... I was either going A or C, because I knew, I knew it and Salem's Lot were...
0: Yeah, because they drive past the town that Salem's Lot is in. Yeah. And yeah. then they talk about the missing kids from Derry.
1: Derry, yeah.
0: Um. They And when he's talking about the road that... that uh. Or he's talking about the animal that his son brought back. He mentions a St. Bernard that went crazy up north and
1: killed a bunch of people.
0: Oh, okay. Which is Cujo. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I knew it was either Cujo or Carrie. but...
0: Yep. Well, I get advantage. I thought maybe,
1: like, the same car that he drove was was the same car from Carrie, but I was wrong. Oh, wait. That's Christine. I'm so dumb. Anyway.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's... It was uh, hard to say. Let's roll. Dice God. All right. What you got? A 12. 17. Nice. All right.
1: Timer starts now.
0: Okay. So as the defender for Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, I have a pretty easy job today because this book is so terrifying and just utterly dark that even Stephen King didn't want to publish it this is kind of a well known uh, trivia fact about this book but it's widely regarded by many fans and by Stephen King himself as his darkest uh, most most disturbing work and he wasn't going to publish it but he like was running into a deadline and his wife was like just publish Pet Cemetery. it's really good and so he did And it became one of his biggest selling novels of all time behind like The Shining and uh, some of his other super successful work like IT, of course. It's had several movies attempted, none of which can do it any any justice because this book truly is a really, really terrifying read. Um, Dealing with grief is hard enough. But when you have to deal with it in its most like malicious and heartrending form, which would be like your own loved one coming back and trying to murder you uh, while also having this sort of supernatural intel on your life outside of the family, Um, because when the kid comes back, uh, there's it knows a lot of things about people. It's got this spiritual essence inside of it. Uh, and it knows all the darkest secrets of its parents. It knows all the darkest secrets of uh, the neighbor who had been helping the characters throughout the book. Well, maybe not helping is the right word. <laughs> he is the <laughs> one who shows them the pet cemetery, but um, that is to bring the cat back initially because what happens is you know the cat gets killed and, and the dad's like, oh no, my daughter was away and she's gonna she's gonna freak out because her cat's dead. And so he brings the cat back to life. And the cat, it gets mean and stuff. It doesn't actually kill any people or try to. Um, It just kills a bunch of, starts killing a bunch of animals and smelling like death and stuff. So he's kind of like, yeah, it's different. But, you know, he's still here, technically. And that idea, even with the cat, you know, like when the little girl comes back, she immediately is like, this isn't, this isn't church You know Mm -hmm. and just thinking about that whole concept of we always like want that person back you know I mean it's so hard to cope with when you lose a person that they're truly truly gone and that you're never going to see them again you can't help but want to do anything you could to bring them back but death is a natural part of life and trying to trying to reverse it is like an age-old thing that we are warned against because it's just, it's not ever going to turn out good, according to all lore (laughs) that has ever existed. Mm -hmm. And that, like you say, that exploration of grief that the book is centered around is key because the only way to like get over that sort of grief is to work on yourself and connect with the people that you do have around you and find a way to move forward. Whenever we try to move back and reverse our grief or wallow in what we've lost, that's only going to suck us down, too, and make us more miserable than we could ever overcome. And that's this book shows that with a personification through this dead son coming back to murder his own family. Because that's what grief does. It, it can tear families apart. It can kill people. It, it can lead to suicide. It can lead to death broken relationships, broken marriages. I mean, that happens all the time when when a kid dies, the parents break up, you know? that grief does destroy people.
1: Listen, I'm not gonna sit here and say that King doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) Um, That would be really stupid to be like, oh, you're looking too much into it, Clay. Like, it's not that deep. Now, King has a grasp of the English language that uh, not a lot of people do. Um, and he definitely explores those themes and he does so well, but in the realm of his sort of greater universe of terrible things that happen in the state of Maine, um, (laughs) this is probably the most boring entry of all of them, in my opinion, because really what happens cat dies, they take the cat in it's a very like spooky forest which is very atmospheric then the kid dies and they take the kid to the cemetery and then the kid comes back and like there's really only three major horrific events that happen in the whole book and the rest of it is just a man like incredibly depressed <laughs> and you're just kind of following him in this dreadful downward spiral of sadness as his like life gets sadder, his family gets sadder, his neighbor gets sadder. And it's just this depressing, like downward dragging slog at some points, especially in the middle, where the theme is definitely still present, but it's just hard to kind of plow to the end, I think, because it's, I just don't want to read about that kind of depression sometimes like i get that it is a part of life i get that it's exploring a greater theme of death and uh sadness and grief and how to not grieve but in the end of the day like i'm reading king for sort of the horror aspect and to read 90 to 120 pages of just sadness and then get to like the horrific reveal of his child coming back that was like eh Man, that was a lot. It was slow. It was hard. It put me in a damper mood. And I think King has a better grasp of pacing in most his other novels than he does in this.
0: I could disagree more. I think that's how grief attacks people. It doesn't attack people in a violent flurry of blows. Like, that's how it starts. But the real power of grief is that lingering, that lingering, subtle... And terrifying power it has over people as they, uh, as they, like I said, try not to revert back into it and try to move forward. But that move forward is hard. Grief nips at your heels like a pack of wolves, you know? Yeah. Um... And I think that that subtle terror is there throughout still. Like, there's always this question of, like, how evil the cat is, (laughs) you know? Like, he catches it hanging out in uh, his daughter's closet and stuff. And you got to wonder, like, is that cat going to kill her? Mm-hmm. You know? Because he's clearly evil as hell. Mm-hmm. So what's he up to in there? And then there's the other stories of the things that have happened in the town that kind of allude to, to what's coming. There's the relationship with the father and with the wife. I think there's still a lot of good, more subtle tension in there that, that uh, represents that grief nine at the insides of the characters.
1: I think what really stopped me with it though is like King has a very like well known he's very well known for making characters that are oftentimes just awful and but you know that like they might have a bit of a redemption in the end or they maybe get their just desserts in the end. I don't think like when you spend so much time with one of his characters like you do in Pet Cemetery he doesn't that sort of awfulness came out even more where uh, the protagonist has a lot of like outdated views and is kind of just not the best person, even though he presents as a good guy at the very beginning, like as you kind of learn about him and how he deals with things, it's, he becomes less and less likable, same with the neighbor. And so by the end of the novel, you just trudge through this like decline of a person's character. And I, I just wasn't, really like sold on why I should care about the theme when I don't care about the events that are happening to the person because I don't really care about the person essentially um not that I think he deserved what happened to him like that's not at all terrible like it's a terrible thing that happens in the novel but I think I need to care about the character and the theme at the up oh, here the way What are you drinking? All right.
0: I'm drinking the Crosscut Pilsner. Uh, Last week I had something from Icicle Brewing in Leavenworth, and I'm doing that again because I got a big mix pack. So this is the Crosscut Pilsner, and it's more of a go-to for me because I like Pilsners and I like Icicle. I have had this beer before, but I wanted to recommend it because it is really tasty. It's won a lot of awards. It was a judge's pick, uh for the northwest best of the northwest um it was the summer u.s beer tasting championship best of the northwest gold medal for washington beer awards so lots of people like this beer it's really tasty
1: right on i am drinking a voodoo ranger new belgium juicy haze ipa
0: oh god Mm -hmm. uh voodoo ranger man i gotta say that's a not ever been a good a good experience for me
1: they specialize in ipas and their ipas are yeah let me know what you think i've never
0: had a voodoo ranger that i liked i tried a few all right
1: for you bud here we go yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that is a mix mixture of hazy ipa and citrus Here's <laughs> the two things I hate the most in a beer.
0: <laughs> Was this another blind recommendation?
1: Yep. Mm. I'm going to keep doing that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good way to go. Uh, yeah. Except for, you're not always going to be happy.
1: Nope. I'm not today.
0: Bummer. The cross cut Pilsner is delicious. Oh,
1: well, that's nice. Yes. <laughs> I'm very happy for you. Yeah it's
0: good beer All but right. i knew that going in to be fair
1: yeah you made the right decision today what do you really got to say about pet cemetery that was that was hard because not only do i like pet cemetery not only do i think it's a good stephen king book it's my favorite stephen king book. is it <laughs> it is <laughs> oh, uh that's I funny re- i really wanted to win. to defend it this time but i didn't get that trivia question yeah i think everything you said i agree with plus more and i think it's the essence that the movies have never been able to catch is just the pure like dread that stephen king conveys in this film i remember the first time in this book sorry I remember the first time I read it, uh, I was home alone. I think you had graduated, so I think I was really home alone. Like, you weren't going to come back from school or anything. You were off at of college. And I was, like, laying in my bed with just a lamp, and all the lights were off, and Mom and Dad weren't going to be home till like, 2. hmm
0: <laughs> Ideal setting for a got, book.
1: Yeah, I got to the scene when he, like, carries his son into the forest and just the descriptions of like every piece of earth he's walking on and you can tell the wendigo is like around him but he can't see it and he's afraid to turn around and you Mm -hmm. get that just scene of like he knows that it's touched his son but he's not sure and he's like too afraid to actually confirm that was so terrifying that i like turned the lights on and slept on the couch <laughs> like, um yeah there's just something in king's prose that scenes like that cannot be filmed they just can't and both pet cemetery movies have proven that both forest scenes have been like the weakest scenes of the whole movie of like Ooh, creepy forest there's a lot of crunching leaves and there's a shape in the background it's like that's not what he did like mm-hmm it's not about the shape it's not it's about everything else it's about what your mind tells you is out there not what's actually out there
0: right and i mean burying his son in a place that he knows for a fact is gonna bring his son back not the same Mm -hmm. is everything about uh what's wrong with going backwards towards your grief you know that idea of i would do anything to have this person back which people say all the time you know it's would you yeah would you really (laughs) anything because this might be what anything looks like Mm -hmm. you know and that's not something you want it's better to move forward and leave well leave what's dead dead Mm -hmm. uh as they say in the story Mm -hmm. but um Yeah, I mean, it's an extremely chilling novel. I can totally see why King didn't want to publish it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It's super dark, really gut-wrenching to read in many different ways. Like, your gut wrenches from fear, your gut wrenches from grief, your gut wrenches from sadness. There's not a whole lot of, like, upside in the novel.
1: No, it's very, very sad. Um... Yeah. very sad very downward but i think my biggest lie was the characters because i do actually think sometimes king does write just like just awful characters like people as Mm. characters and you're like wow i can't wait for this person to like get the king treatment but i think in this book pretty much all his characters were good Mm -hmm. but it's like what happens when good people take the wrong choice because of like extenuating circumstances i think especially the neighbor the neighbor is like a really nice old man and his whole like i think his whole justification is i was just trying to help and like the answer is well this is what you helped (laughs) yeah and Mm -hmm. like this is what happened now you're going to die and Mm -hmm. i think that was like maybe why that book is my favorite because King's characters feel a little more real to me in this one than some of his other novels, especially because they're good people, but they do make the wrong choice and the wrong choice comes back with severe consequences.
0: Yeah, the uh, the circumstances of the novel are obviously very extreme because mm-hmm. again, he is using like literal personifications of these things like grief and like uh, you said, just trying to help these concepts that people always uh, express when they're feeling these uh, feelings of deep sadness and depression around the loss of a family member or some tragic event. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And he does a great job of showing that with like literal characters and literal events. That's kind of what the whole novel is to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think something he does really well in that respect is he shows that, because like you say, these characters are like, uh societally speaking they're like your upstanding citizens pretty much Mm -hmm. all the characters at the beginning of the book right you've got like the neighborly old couple that's all friendly and baking cookies and watching the kids and they're like the perfect neighbors right and you've got this couple that's pretty much like your perfect little family i mean they have their flaws and stuff but societally speaking they're the apple pie uh, Mm -hmm. type family you know Mm -hmm. and um that's how the story starts but then it goes to show that like anybody can fall victim to these sorts of to when the tragic event happens anybody can fall victim to these solutions that are not the right solutions and these choices that lead to dire consequences Mm -hmm. and utterly more depression and more grief and and more death and nobody's immune to that i think that's what this story really shows
1: yeah, and I think did, King did a master job at expressing it, and it's definitely my favorite Stephen King novel. I haven't read, admittedly, probably as many as you have. Uh, I'm not like a King fanatic, but of the four I've read, this is definitely my favorite.
0: Yeah, it's really good. It's definitely one of the best. Um, I like The Shining better, personally, but this is probably my second favorite. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, I mean... It's an excellent novel. Just excellent. So if you haven't read Pet Cemetery yet, you definitely should. Even if you've seen the movie, so you're like, eh, it's not really my cup of tea. Well, the movie doesn't. It's not enough to tell you that. No. <laughs> if you like horror and you like Stephen King's style, then you should read Pet Cemetery Because again, it is a book that even scared the king himself so
1: yes uh, and the movies do not do it justice
0: no they do not yeah (laughs) i would say the only thing when i first read pet cemetery the only thing i didn't like about it was like why would he go to the pet cemetery it makes no sense (laughs) it makes no sense why would the old man take him up there he knows what's gonna happen like but then the more i read it the more i realized like what i've been talking about all episode but it's like those literal personifications of people's desperation In the face Mm -hmm. of tragedy and Mm -hmm. they people would do a stupid thing like that because if there was any chance it would work they would try it Mm -hmm. if that in in situations like losing your three-year-old son
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: so yeah i think uh the more i've read pet cemetery i've now read it like four times i think the more i've come to really really appreciate something that i used to think was blatant Like blatant exaggeration of human emotion as more of a uh, subtly, extremely accurate personification of those desperate emotions. Yeah. How it becomes subtle when you realize it's disguised as not subtle. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's how I felt about it anyway.
1: Yeah, I agree. And there's, I mean, there's another like thing to encourage people to read it. It's short like we've it talked is. about we've talked about it and the shining which are tomes pet mm-hmm. Cemetery's is not it's like pretty easily digestible it's not that long
0: no i think it's under 300 pages We're yeah i'm entirely sure it's yeah it's very short though for a for a stephen king novel
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. quick read albeit a sad one indeed yeah well i guess that's uh that's what we think about that indeed so that, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else, is going to be a show for this week. Um, you can find me at Instagram, I'm at Clay Vermolem Fiction. At Twitter, I'm at Clayton Vermolem. And on LinkedIn, I'm Clay Vermolem. And then you can find me at Clavermolenfiction.com, where I release a monthly newsletter in which I give out a free short story. And it's the only place you can get it is my newsletter. So you should come join it. Get a free short story. It's always about some monster or other, and it's usually horror, sci-fi, or fantasy. So, yeah, come on over, to dot com, and join me. Link in the bio. Travis, where can people find you?
1: Uh, at O. G on Instagram and at tvermolom on TikTok. My Instagram is mostly book reviews, and my TikTok is not much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: which i say every week but really it isn't i haven't made any more videos but check out my instagram
0: check out instagram that's the place to be travis is reviewing lots of books on there Mm -hmm. uh and you know that's what we do on this show so in theory you should like it go check it out all right thanks for tuning in to sinister soup this week head down to the episode description for links to the shout outs from our Bring Some Culture segment and for links to all of our stuff. So yeah, check all that stuff out. And we hope to see you next week. Until that time, I've been Clay Vermulam.
1: And I have been Travis Vermullum,
0: And we are both still those people. Bye. Bye.